The Griot was a professional storyteller unique to Western Africa. And the griot, as a job, encompasses many roles. Now, griots were historians, storytellers, and then they also had other functions. And we don't have a real word in the English language that includes all of their functions, everything that the griot did. Traditional griots could do everything from recounting history, composing music, teaching students, acting as diplomats. They were genealogists, historians, spokespeople, ambassadors, musicians, teachers, warriors, interpreters, praise singers, master of ceremonies, advisors, and even more than that. Now, not all griots did all of these things. But these were some examples of the function the griot profession has. Now, in order to become a griot, you were born into a griot family. And this was an art form that was passed from father to son, almost like an apprenticeship. Your family would teach you and show you verbal skills, musical arts, and you would learn to play an instrument, usually called a kora. And that was similar to a harp. And then there were also more formal ways of griot training. There would be a house sometimes that was presided over by a master griot where all griots went to learn from each other. And then there are private and state-sponsored schools that would give you training in the griot arts. And this would go on throughout the centuries. This idea of storytelling. Now, we know a story has five components. You have the character, the setting, the plot, the conflict, and the resolution. These are universally accepted over the generations of elements of a story. Now, a role. A role is a function assumed or a part played by a person or a thing in a particular situation. The definition of a role. Now, in our culture, our workplace culture, do people play the roles you want them to play or the roles they were born to play? Or do we take the time to find that out? Now, what happens to talent in an individual in a culture of specialization. Do we consider the talent a waste? Do we consider a talent unusable? Do we ignore the talent? Waste is something that cannot be used any longer. And some people have found even ways to use waste. They recycle it. But when something sits on the shelf, it gathers dust, it atrophies, it's never used. Talent isn't something to be wasted, but used. And if you have a culture that doesn't use talent and you hide it behind words like specialization 
bureaucracy, chain of command, what kind of culture have you created? Burn, Hollywood, burn. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a man of faith, and I'm driven by curiosity, and I want to make efforts to be empathetic and compassionate. I'm here today to have a conversation with you about the past, the present, and the future with the hope that all of us will leave today ready to listen to hearts and minds and bring forth contributions that we want to make at a local, national, and global level. Today I'm continuing to look at the music of Public Enemy and leadership lessons that we can learn from their music. Burn Hollywood Burn is the song that I'm going to be using today. Burn Hollywood Burn was on the Public Enemy album Fear of a Black Planet. Spike Lee was given an honorary Oscar in 2015 at the Governor's Awards. And he had some remarks that he said to the people in attendance. He said, it is easier to be the President of the United States as a black person than it is to be the head of a studio. And Lee was bringing this up because he was talking about the lack of black representation in movies. And Public Enemy came straight at this with their song, 1990, Burn Hollywood Burn. This song was taking the movie industry to task for its portrayal of black culture. And they're not calling for sensitivity training or diversity initiatives since they have a more radical solution. Their solution was burn it down. Now, some people say that this is just simply a metaphor, but the point they're making, and the point something that Spike Lee was making in his speech was saying that this is a problem that we need to have an overhaul, an overhaul of culture. Not an overhaul of story component or storytelling, but an overhaul of culture. Spike Lee was even mentioned in the song. He says, so let's make our own movies like Spike Lee because the roles being offered don't strike me. Then also Chuck D talks about the film Driving Miss Daisy in the lyrics as a film that uplifts stereotypes that Hollywood loves. The film was released in 1989 and, more, and won Best Picture and it starred Morgan Freeman as a black driver who forms a friendship with his white employer played by Jessica Tandy. And what he said is that this film ignored the black perspective on race relations and oppression. There's another line in the movie where he said, step and fetch this. And that's a reference to black actors, step and fetch it. Step and fetch it often played what people described as a lazy, cartoonish character in many films, mostly done in the 30s and 40s. Now, let's look at this. Is this a filmmaking problem? Or is this a culture problem? Now remember, we know what the story elements are. There are five of them. So what problem is it? Oscar Michel was a self-made man. He was a novelist, a filmmaker, and a self-promoter. He was born on a farm in Illinois. He worked as a Pullman porter 
on a train and then he was able to purchase and farm 500 acres of land in South Dakota and he published some of his novels self-published them in Nebraska New York and he started making movies in Chicago and Los Angeles there are three novels that he left records of the conquest which was written in 1913 the forge note which was written in 1915 and the homesteader which was written in 1917 now in this movie there was a young african-american man in rural South Dakota and that was the story and Michelle began his career selling these writings door-to-door to farmers and he made a good amount of money selling these stories door-to-door and then he stopped farming and began to write more novels and he sold those novels from door to door as well 1917 there was a movie made by D.W. Griffith and it was very racist. It was called The Birth of a Nation. But Michelle, when he saw that movie and what he looked at, he saw a filmmaker who was able to tell a story with many characters and it was almost like a novel. So Michelle decided to make his own movie. Now, there was a film company that was owned by black people in 1918, the Lincoln Film Company in Nebraska, and they wanted to buy Michelle's novel, The Homesteader, and film it. Michelle declined. Instead, he went to Chicago, and he made it himself. And The Homesteader was the first full-length feature film written, produced, and directed by an African-American was also considered a commercial success at the time. This was in 1918. And Michel, throughout his career, decided that he was going to control the production and the distribution of his films. That was what he was going to do. And what he did begin to do, he began to persuade the best African Americans of his time to work in his films, 44 of them that he produced. Most of them were low budget. They didn't spend a lot of money on them, but he made them between 1919 and 1948. And those films appealed to the rapidly growing audiences of African American people who began to live in the cities. And his films were detective stories. He wrote them quickly, filmed them quickly, edited them quickly, and then released them. And here's the thing, African Americans rarely saw people who looked like them on the screen. And they wanted to see people who looked like them on the silver screen. But more, what he did, sometimes, Michel would look at more complex subjects in his films. The film called Within, his, Within Our Gates was his fifth film that he made, and he specifically attacked racism in the movie Birth of a Nation. He talked about controversial subjects at the time, even within the black community, which included interracial romance, skin color, 
corrupt ministers. And his films were contrast because at the time in the 20s and 30s, Hollywood was showing blacks as lazy, ignorant, and sexually aggressive. That was the role that Hollywood showed. Now, the criticism of Michelle was this. His movies were considered to be amateur movie-making skills. Now, there's a difference between movie-making skills, lighting, camera angles, settings, editing quality. That's different than storytelling because there's five elements of storytelling, and he had storytelling down. People were coming to see them. He had the ability to make stories stories but people said he was amateur because of the way something looked which has nothing to do with your story writing and his audiences devoured his products and he became the most successful african-american writer producer and director in the u.s until he died in charlotte in 1951 so what makes a story work if people want to hear it That's what makes a story successful. If people want to hear your story, if people want to tell your story, you have succeeded as a storyteller. Now, it took a long time, into the 80s. Finally, they became, began to look back at Michelle. 1987, he was given a Walk of Fame star in Hollywood on the Walk of Fame. And then two years later, he was given an award after he had died. Remember, he died in 1951. The Black Film Mercury's Hall of Fame, 1989, gave him an award. The Directors Guild of America, 1989, also gave him an award. And each year, now in a small town, Gregory, South Dakota, they have an Oscar Michelle Film Festival. Now let's think about this for a minute and, and, and think about our culture, the culture that you as a leader create. We all have missions and visions and what we want to promote in our organization. But in the promotion of our mission and vision and values, do we hold back others from shining and developing their talents? Do you recognize even talent or roles or consider talent and roles as a leader? When you sit down and you look over your organization, are you looking simply at your org chart? Are you looking at the people behind the org chart? I heard people say the term, we need to look at positions and not people and make our decisions that way. Some of the most stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry I'm going to say that. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. You would leave talent on the ground? I'm going to look at positions, not people. That's like saying if I'm going to look at a $500 bill and pick up a $1 bill. If there were a $500 bill, if there's $500 sitting on the ground and you adopted that position, I'm going to look at people, not I'm going to look at positions and not people. You would walk away from the $500 and pick up the 1 because your system dictated that you pick up the 1 and now you've given away value. You need to look at value. You don't need to look at positions. You need to look at value. 
If the position doesn't offer value, you need, to, you need to eliminate the position and find a place for valuable people. And sadly, many organizations don't do that. Let's imagine this. Do you recognize talent or roles? Or do you try to put people into a role that they don't fit and then blame them for not being a fit? Imagine this. Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Terry Bradshaw all won multiple Super Bowls at quarterback. Can you imagine if a new coach walked in and said, you know what, Terry, Tom, Joe, I really see you as a defensive back. And, and to order to, to get better as a football player, a whole football player, you need to be a defensive back. Now, we would consider that ludicrous. In fact, if that happened, they wouldn't win Super Bowls. They would be out of position and out of alignment. And if you blamed Tom Brady, Joe Montana, or Terry Bradshaw for not being good defensive backs, that's even worse. But we see it all the time. We see it all the time in organizations where we don't promote people who are talented and we promote people who aren't. And then when or we promote people into leadership positions and we don't resource them. And then we blame them for not being good leaders. That's a leadership problem. That's not a people problem. That's not an employee problem. But we don't want to evaluate the leader. We want to blame the people. We want to blame the employees. As a leader, I sit and reflect. on my leadership and on people's talent and I gotta make sure there's a match because sometimes the problem is me can you do that as a leader can you say the problem is me because when you start blaming other people and you want to change them you may have to change people but you better have looked at yourself first you know, there are people who can be leaders in your organization, but they can't be, not because of talent, skill, or ability, but because you won't provide them the opportunity. Look at Oscar Michel. He was a film producer. He made films. People came and saw his films. Why wouldn't Hollywood let him make films? It wasn't about talent, skill, or ability. That's how people should be evaluated. They should be evaluated on their talent, skill, and ability, not on your opinion. Take another example. You get a phone call from a salesperson, and the salesperson simply just sticks to the script, never moves off the script. I'm not mad at the salesperson because I know that salesperson is trying to keep their job to provide for their family. They're working a 40-hour week. They're doing a hard job. They have to call people. I have empathy for that person. But you can begin to see in the conversation that the person won't come off the script. And you know why they can't, won't come off the script? Because if they do come off the script, they're going to get reprimanded by the boss. The customer service rep didn't write the script. The leader wrote the script. The leader is looking at some sort of computer program that tells them that if you stick to the script, you will get a certain percentage of scale sales, but you also will deliver a certain percentage of poor customer service. 
Why isn't that evaluated? Do we even care about the poor customer service that we sometimes provide when we won't empower our people to get off a script? The leader who won't adjust or provide opportunities, that's a leader problem. And if it continues, it becomes a culture problem. Burn Hollywood Burn is about changing a culture. It's about identifying what is broken and fixing it. You see, storytelling is universal. You're not going to burn story down. You can get rid of a bad culture. Griots. We go all the way back centuries to our griots. And in, Indian, and in most industries that are around today, the industries buying and selling and exchanging goods will be around. We will eventually go away. So it's not about the universal principle of exchanging goods and services or of making things and fixing things. It's about the culture in which you allow people to operate within. That can be fixed. That can be broken. And you can break it. But when you break it, you need to fix it. Or even are you aware of when you break it? If you're a leader, ask people what projects they want to take on, not what projects you want them to do. Then do this. Resource them and supply them. Say yes. As a leader, I say yes. Saying yes doesn't make you a weak leader. Saying no doesn't make you a strong leader. I'll say it again. Saying no doesn't make you a strong leader. Here's what it makes you. It makes you an obstructionist. It means that you're stopping people from being the best versions of themselves that they can be. If you're going to say no, say no in context. For example, a culture of harassment of women is something you should say no to. A culture of mocking people according to their race, gender, or sexual orientation is something that you should say no to. And allowing that to happen in your organization, and if you know about it, you need to say no to those things. Now, if you say no to that, then you are a strong leader. But we see cultures are not saying no to that. Say yes to talent, skill, and ability. Even if it means sacrificing your vision for the organization. Even if it means taking some heat. I've said yes to people who have talent and ability, and I was told I was too nice. You let people get away with whatever they want. And you know what? Guess what? I will continue to say yes to people's talents and abilities. And I will be continued to tell me people will tell me that I'm too nice and I don't really care because you're not the leader I want to work on under. And I will do everything to subvert that attitude. But you know what? If you say yes to people's talent and abilities, you're going to grow a culture and you're going to develop people who will thrive. Again, a story has five basic elements. Character, setting, plot, conflict, resolution. From the griot of ancient times, we know what makes great culture. 
until today. We know it makes great culture. What is stopping you from doing it, from creating it? Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. Today is your day. This moment is a moment to reflect and be aware. Put your feet on the ground and feel what is underneath you. Look up at the sky and say thank you. Look forward at your surroundings and be aware of all that you have. Now, move forward from that space. Go out today. Create, heal, and contribute. Laugh and love. We are all here together. Thank you.